Last week, I talked about receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit and what He has to offer us as sons and daughters of God. And we saw from the scriptures that we need to receive the Holy Spirit's converting power that brings us into the, into the family of God so that we become sons and daughters of God. And in a sense, that's the inner fullness of the Holy Spirit because it's a change that happens somewhat mysteriously on the inside. Mysterious, though nevertheless very real, incredibly real. And then we also need to receive the Holy Spirit, um, Holy Spirit's clothing power which in a sense is his outer fullness. This is a, a clothing of power so that we can fulfill the Great Commission, the work that God has given us to do here on earth. Remember that Jesus came on earth and when he was on earth, he was here as a man in bodily form and he was limited in, in terms of what he could do. But when he left, he left behind a body. He left behind a body of believers. We are described as the body of Christ. And so we've been left behind to continue the work that Jesus did, and we're able to continue it in our time and in our generation. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do that. Well, I noted last week that many of us have received the first, but not necessarily the second. And as a result, we haven't been supernaturally empowered to fulfill the Great Commission. We're not like Paul when he says, I, I, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We don't necessarily see that in our lives. And we've learned that there were several instances in the book of Acts where people received the Holy Spirit's clothing power, um, converting power, I beg your pardon, but they hadn't been clothed with supernatural power yet. And, and it took a period of time between those two events. It happened to the disciples, for example. It happened to the Samaritan um, believers. And that might be the case for you today. So I'd like to talk about how to receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which will empower you to fulfill the Great Commission. The first thing that we need to understand uh, on receiving this is that we receive the outpouring through faith. It must be understood that Christians only receive things from God through faith. Let's consider Paul's letter to the Galatians as proof of this. Paul had taught the Galatians that a person is put right with God by grace alone. In other words, it's the working of God that puts us right with God. Through faith alone, we put our faith and our trust in what God will do. And in Christ alone, Christ achieved it on the cross. But false teachers had managed to come in amongst the Galatians and con them into believing that salvation was partly received by faith and partly by working to observe the Old Testament law and to earn salvation. And Paul found this incredibly infuriating. You can see it from his words. He says, you foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. And then he asks two questions. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? It's a rhetorical question. They received the Spirit by believing what they'd heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, then another rhetorical question. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Do you see that in verse 5? 
receiving the Spirit and working miracles go together. The Galatians had received the fullness of the Holy Spirit because they were converted and empowered by God to do miracles. But notice the basis on which the Holy Spirit was received and given. The Spirit was received, verse 2, by believing what you heard. And He was given, look at the verse at the end, verse 5, He was given because you believed what you heard. In other words, He's emphasizing it. If you want to receive it, use faith. God gives it on the basis of faith. And so it's imperative that we believe and have faith. But we don't just believe in anything. We believe in what God has promised. And so many people will go around and they will believe all sorts of incredible stuff. But we want to put our faith and our belief in what God has said and what He has promised. So we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, through faith, but not just faith in anything, it's faith in a promise, the promise of God. Luke 24, verse 44. Uh, Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. Look at verse 49. What was Jesus going to send? He was going to send something that the Father had promised. And where did Jesus find evidence for that promise? Well, we see in the context, he was opening their minds to the Old Testament scriptures, which was the Bible at the time. He found evidence for that promise in the Old Testament. Now, these verses don't specify what the promise was, apart from the fact that it was predicted in the Old Testament and that it would involve an empowering for the Great Commission to be witnesses. However, Jesus clearly links, you see, what was promised with an event that he commands his disciples to wait for. An event which we now know arrived about 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. Let's move on now to the, to the beginning of the book of Acts. Remember that both Luke and the book of Acts were written as two books telling one story by a Gentile doctor called Luke. And in fact, some Bible scholars believe that it was written as a defense brief for Paul when he was being tried in Rome. It's an account from when Jesus was born right the way through to what happened in the early church. So, chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been around for about 40 days. He's um, revealed himself to his disciples and to many other believers in a way that they didn't doubt that he'd been raised from the dead. And now he says these things. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Once again, Jesus is referring to something that is promised by God. And he links that, this to events on the day of Pentecost. 
But here we learn a few extra things. We learn that the promise is given as a gift. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. And now he says it more specifically, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what am I asking you to believe? I'm asking you to believe in something that God promised to do. The promise was foretold in the Old Testament, and Jesus referred to it. What is the promise? It is a gift from God and empowering for the Great Commission so that our lives can count for something, so that we fulfill the purposes that God has for us in this life. It is, in fact, we see from here, the baptism with the Holy Spirit that John talked about, and it's a baptism that happened on the day of Pentecost. A little bit further on in verse 8, have a look at this. The baptism of the Spirit is described again as an empowering for the Great Commission, just as it was at the end of Luke's Gospel. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Right, at this stage, you might be excused for asking this question. Okay, so God promised a special gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit which was a clothing of power for the Great Commission. But wasn't that promise made to the disciples? Let's move on now to the day of Pentecost, where we'll answer that question. The 12 disciples and about 120 believers were gathered together in an upstairs room, praying and worshiping God together. They were waiting for this event that Jesus had commanded them to wait for. He said, wait in Jerusalem, until you're baptized or clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. I'd like to, to read from uh, Acts 2, verse 2. And you can follow in your Bibles if you'd like to. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Amphilia, Egypt and parts of Libya. I had to practice those words in some <laughs> Yes, uh, where were we now? Um, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say, and I hope you will do the same today. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I presume that's where the rule of charge allowed to drink before nine in the morning started. <laughs> no, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter was obviously viewing this, in other words, the people speaking in tongues, looking as if they were drunk, flames of fire. He was referring to this, to what was happening, um, as being a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, when God promised to pour out his spirit. And he also referred to what the spectators could see and hear as the promised Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He was probably standing at the window of the room. There was a loud noise going on. They could see people behaving strangely and he's saying, what you see and hear, this is the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus is pouring out. Let's have a look at the prophecy now in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Notice two things. First of all, God promises. Because if God says something, we can bank on it as a promise. Secondly, He promises to do it to pour out His Spirit on all people. In other words, that's, that's not to say that everybody will receive it, every human being, but rather people who believe from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Let's take the first part of that promise. I will pour out. What is the effect of the pouring out that you can see in those verses? It's prophecy, it's visions, it's dreams. In other words, the pouring out of the Spirit causes a manifestation of the supernatural. And that's exactly what was happening as Peter was explaining this. And then who will be the recipients of the promised pouring? He's going to pour out his spirit on all people. And then he goes on to clarify, crystal clear, who all people are. This is for sons and daughters. It's for old men. It's for young men. It's for Men and women, it's for everybody. In verse 39, he says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Sounds like us, doesn't it? For all whom the Lord our God will call. I'm presuming that you're sitting here today because God has called you. You've responded to that call in, 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 his, in your heart. And so this is for you. And when you look at those categories, men, women, young, old, all people, people who are far off, <laughs> we all fall into one or other of those categories, or all of them. Mm. So this is for us. Yeah. So we need to put our faith to receive, our faith in God to receive something from Him. What is it that we are receiving from Him? We are receiving a promise was spoke about. It hasn't just been dreamed up in the last few days. It was spoken about thousands of years before Jesus came. And then Jesus endorsed it as a promise that was still available. And we see here from what Peter says on the day of Pentecost that this is for all believers. So let's move on to some practicalities now. Just remember that by very nature, the spirit is hard to pin down to a specific way of operating, a specific, specific modus operandi. And if we attempt to sort of standardize him, then we're doomed to failure. Mm -hmm. So things differ from person to person. 
I've heard of those who receive the fullness of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues, at the moment of their conversion. So some of them would feel similar to Cornelius that we talked about last week. I've heard of people um, that shortly after their conversion, just a bit like Paul, remember when Saul was converted to Paul? It took a few days before he received the clothing with power. And then I've heard of other people like, like Gail who had several years after their conversion um, they were f- received the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and they would have felt a little bit similar to the Ephesian disciples that we talked about last week. I've heard of some people that remember a specific moment, whilst others, a bit like myself, um, claim a more gradual series of sort of mini-moments, some of them highly significant, and a sense of, of increasing fullness of the Spirit. To some it happened alone, to others it happened in a meeting, to others when someone laid hands on them, and to others it was in a worship context, without the laying on of hands. For most it involved speaking in tongues, and for the minority it didn't. Some claim more of a sort of a traumatic felt experience, and others an experience that was less dramatic, but the subsequent fruit in their lives persuaded them that it was a genuine experience. So some comments on receiving the Holy Spirit. First comment. Let me just have a sip of water. There's no spirit in here. <laughs> That's courage needed. <laughs> um, so, first comment. Let's face it, most of us are a little bit weary of the supernatural. Um, and I'd just like to say on that, if God has promised this since Old Testament times, if John the Baptist, Peter and Jesus have endorsed the promise as being for us, why would we be afraid to receive it? God only gives what is good for us. He is the good, good father. Isn't that right? I'm just going to reiterate what uh, Joe read earlier. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Isn't that encouraging? I find that hugely encouraging. So that was the first comment. Most of us a little bit weary of the supernatural. A second comment. We need to have a genuine experience and not something flaky. And I'm sure a lot of you have probably um, heard a lot of stuff, maybe seen a lot of stuff, and you're just thinking, I'm just not up for another flaky exhibition. And so the truth is that we're not going to be whipping you up into a frenzy today. There's going to be no need to compensate yourself um, in order to prove that in some way you're receiving a genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You won't need to do that. Um, None of the ministry team are going to be pushing you and putting you under pressure to speak in tongues, for example. They may pray quietly in tongues, but that'll be the Holy Spirit helping them as they pray for you. Um, And none of the ministry team is going to push you, for example, in order to encourage you to go down under the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's not going to be happening. We don't need to to try and um, pretend that something is happening. We just come 
with, on the basis of faith, and we trust the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the strong one. Simply ask, simply receive. What did we just read? How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So that's all we're going to be doing today, is just simply asking and simply receiving. We've put together a, a ministry team, the people will be working in pairs, and they'll come and pray for you, and they'll just be praying. You know, Father God, whoever it is, maybe John, let's say. John, we just ask, uh, Father God, we just ask that you would clothe John with your Holy Spirit power this morning. Yeah. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. They'll be praying things like that. Please equip him for the Great Commission. Um, and they'll be playing, praying for things like that with you. Um, it is, of course, possible to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit alone and by yourself, and some people have had that. But having, having said that, the most common biblical context of receiving the Spirit were in groups with other Christians, yeah. catalyzed through the laying on of hands. And that's why we're going to be giving an opportunity to do it in the, in the service today. Um, there's going to be no pressure or manipulation for you to come forward. Um, and if you decide not to come forward, that's entirely up to you. It's not a problem at all. And it's not as if the people who really count in your life, your family, your friends, the leadership of the church, I assume we count, we're not going to be looking down on you at all if you don't come forward. We just recognize your right to decide when the time is right for you. So, simply ask, simply receive. The fourth comment, don't fear losing control. You will always have ultimate control. Harvest is not going to take it away from you, and in fact, neither will God. You get to decide how much control you want to give to the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 47 speaks about the river of God as a river with several different standing options. You can stand ankle deep, you can wade in waist deep, or you can go swimming deep. Ankle deep and waist deep are comfortable for us because we're in control and can be done quite respectably. But swimming deep is exciting because we no longer have our feet on firm ground and we may be carried along to places that we've never been before. It's very exciting. It's also very safe. Check your motivation. The last comment. Um, God will not clothe us with power just so that we can find a parking lot or a full tank of petrol. <laughs> That's not the reason why we want power. We don't want power so that we can manipulate God to our own ends. He may do those things for you, and sometimes He does it just to reassure us that He loves us and that He's taking care of us. But this is an equipping for the Great Commission. Yeah. And it, you know, it is so vitally important for us to, to be using God's power as we reach out to people. Because we owe it to people. People need us to be powerful people. That's what brings them into the kingdom of God. Um, the other thing is that if you, or when you receive the clothing of the Holy Spirit, um, it, it doesn't mean that you're somebody special. And that, that if you don't receive it at this time, that you're not a special person. Just have a look at this. This is very significant. The 72, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples to go on a missions trip, to go out evangelizing. And he gave them authority to do different things, to heal people, to cast out demons. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
In other words, Jesus is saying that all those millennia ago, when Satan was cast out of heaven by the authority of God, Jesus was there. And the reason why he was cast out of heaven is because Jesus had the authority to do it. And that's the basis on which he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Incredible power. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we're not coming to do this because we rejoice in the power. By no means. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven. We don't have to have the power to earn a place in heaven. Absolutely not. No, we're, we have a place in heaven that's already guaranteed based on what Christ did for us on the cross. Whether we heal a person or whether we don't heal a person, doesn't matter. So just check the motivation. Remember, we're doing this because we want to see God's um, reaching out to people who need Him. Some common questions. First one, what will I experience? Um, once again, we can't pin the Holy Spirit down. But we see from the biblical record that receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit will be a felt experience. You will feel something. And I've given biblical evidence for that last week. In three of the five accounts, the Bible records that the Bible records, um, they say explicitly that the experience included speaking in tongues. In another of the five instances, the conversion of Saul to Paul, we deduce that he spoke in tongues because Paul later wrote to the Corinthians that he spoke in tongues more than any of you. Um, and my observation is that that's probably about right. About three to four cases in five, there is speaking in tongues. It's one of the felt experiences. But it's not the only felt experience. I've seen people collapse under the power of the Spirit, and they have what looks like a delicious sleep. I think that's anywhere I can describe. <laughs> um, in two of the cases I observed, close, close friends of mine, when they, when they came around or, or woke up, they were just completely changed. Um, I, I just cannot really express how different they were before and after that experience of going down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, even as they were lying there, the one just had a huge, beaming smile on the face. Um, years ago, a lady told our life group that, that when she gave her life to the Lord and she was filled with the Spirit, her house was filled with a beautiful perfume. Um, and she couldn't account for this because, to be frank, we used to go and uh, have life group there. It, it was a bit of a smelly house because um, <laughs> her husband was a heavy smoker. Um, but there was this beautiful sense, uh, smell of perfume released. Um, and her husband, when he came home, he also noticed this. He said, what have you been spraying in house? <laughs> and she just smiled to herself. Have uh, you spraying anything? The Holy Spirit's been through. Um, so there's all sorts of different things. We can't really pin them down. Um, the main thing is, is just to be open to, to receive what, what the Holy Spirit does, not be yeah. worrying about what He's going to do, and whether we're experiencing it or not. Just focus on Him and receive. Um, another question, will I have to speak to receive a tongue or will it just gush out of my mouth? Um, I'm just quoting somebody here, um, Smythe, he says, in all my years of helping people get filled with the Spirit, I've never encountered anyone who was overtaken by the Spirit and had this uncontrollable fountain of strange sounds gushing from their mouth. That doesn't seem to be God's way with the gift of personal tongues. 
or for that matter, with any of the other gifts of the Spirit. His way is to enable us to do it, and He leaves us with the responsibility to initiate. I think that's so good. So unless you actually lay hands on the sick and pray, the gift of healing doesn't flow. Unless you deliberately speak a word of prophecy, then there is no prophecy. And unless you actually make up and say the new sounds of tongues, then there is no tongues. You must do the speaking. And wonderfully, the more you speak in tongues, the more your range of sounds seems to develop. And that's been my experience as well. Last one. What if I don't have a tangible experience today? Um, this does not mean that you are not born again. Even the disciples got born again long before they were clothed with power and started to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Our born again experience, it's not a case of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, plus anything else. That's what, what Peter was getting so, Paul was getting so tight about with the Galatians. So, we are. And even if you don't have a tangible, tangible experience, um, I would counsel you to keep seeking. Even good parents allow their children to seek and hunger and long for something long before they give it to them. Just think of this, on Easter Sunday, when our kids were small, two or three years old, we used to go and hide chocolate Easter eggs in the garden. And we made it difficult for them, to be honest. We hit them hard. And uh, so they really had to search. And it wasn't as if people would come up to us and say, how can you be so cruel to your children? You're being bad parents. Did Catherine and Matthew start thinking while they were searching, oh, I can't find the Easter egg. Maybe I'm not mom and dad's son or daughter. They didn't start to think like that. No, they just looked harder. And when they found the chocolate, chocolate eggs, they just valued and enjoyed them so much more. And so just keep seeking. I would do it in two ways. Take every opportunity that's presented to you. When people offer to pray for you, like today. Um, and also, if you want to do it by yourself, maybe you're just one of those people who's like, mm, I really would like to do this in my room by myself. Then go do it in, in your room by yourself. Just say, come and come play me with God. And then the other thing is to, in the seeking, we're talking about how to seek, um, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and control you um, and try to do it at the start of every day. This is what I do. Um, I just, at the start of the day, I just say, Holy Spirit, I want you to be in control of me today. I want you to be leading me. I want you to be guiding me. I don't want fear to control me. I don't want anxiety to control me. I don't want anger to control me. I want you to be controlling me. And then I do it during the day when I need the Holy Spirit's help, which is a lot. Um, so, for example, if I'm going into a difficult meeting and I'm not quite sure how to handle it or what words to say, I just quietly say, Holy Spirit, please come and fill me now. Come and empower me. And what's interesting is that I've had so many experiences like that that have led to far more significant awareness of the empowering and the filling of the Holy Spirit than I did on the day when, when, I was, when I asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm sure that, that Peter and the apostles were like that as well. Remember when it says that Peter stood up in front of the Sanhedrin? It says that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He must have been aware of the fact. And, and that's happened to me so often as well. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, of many difficult, difficult things. Um, taking Sean Evershed's funeral, for example. 
It's just like, Lord, how do we encourage people in this situation? You are the God of comfort. How do, you, how do we do this? And I just got such a sense while I was preaching that message at the funeral of the Holy Spirit being on me and, and empowering me, that the words were God's words. And then afterwards, I could see the evidence of that. People coming to me, people who were close to Sean, saying, I was so encouraged, that's opened my eyes, that's helped me. That's, not, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. So we keep seeking. Folks, just to, to conclude, um, we need to be clothed with power. God has promised it. Yeah. Jesus commanded it. The New Testament Christians and Jesus himself set as an example for us to follow. And then lastly, we owe it to the lost. Yeah. I don't know if Christine Fisher is in church today. There she is. But let me just share something with you. Um, some time ago, one of Christine's parents, I don't know if it was your mum or your dad, who passed away. It was your mum. And David was invited to carry out the funeral. And Christine saw something at the funeral that she liked. Um, and so she came. She started coming to harvest. But after attending a few times, um, she was really struggling with very bad sciatic pain in her leg. Um, and after coming a few times, she came to church and she, she sat down and she said, you know, and you, uh, Christine will bear, bear, bear me out on this. She said, I, I think this is the last time that I'm going to be there to church. She was sitting next to her friend, Jan, Jan McIntosh. And then during the service, um, David had said, I've, I've received a word of knowledge from God that there's somebody who needs healing because they've got pain from their back and into their leg. And so Christine was too embarrassed to put her hand up, but immediately Jan put her hand up. <laughs> and uh, David said, who is it? Um, and so we, we prayed for Christine. And from that moment on, she was healed. And she carried on coming to church. You see, it was at that turning point. Yeah, and so we, we desperately need to be clothed with power. Dave was clothed with, clothed with power on that occasion. Mm. And if he hadn't been clothed with power, well, we just don't know what would have happened, do we? Mm. But we need it. Mm. <laughs> we need it for the sake of our non-Christian friends and, and family members.